Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and as Alpine gets an influx of Hollywood cash, McLaren is set for the first part of a major upgrade package that it's very optimistic about. I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to explain what this means for F1's leading midfield teams are Scott Mitchell Mound and Josh Suttill. Well, Scott, I would say hello, but we have just driven from Vienna to our rather high altitude country abode for the weekend so uh, I won't create the pretense we've just run into each other how are you yeah I'm very well thank you it's good to be back in the uh, Styrian countryside this is such a nice race to come to and uh, we've actually been staying in this guest house uh, where you've been staying in it on off for the last I guess probably six or seven years I, I I've stayed in this guest house every time I've done the Austrian Grand Prix I think this is my fifth this is my fifth now and uh, long time listeners of what I like to call the Scott Mitchell and Friends F1 show as it began um, back in 2018 before the the race's existence might remember this being the location where we ran into a horse that disagreed with me and interrupted the post-race podcast because it, it didn't like what I was saying disagreed with you savagely i would say very 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 forthright there are multiple horses in the paddock just outside um the the the, the guest house not the f1 paddock the actual paddock that is um in, in in eyesight and just just past it looks like there's a nice little setup for some low level uh, horse dancing as well so quite a nice setup here it's a very very nice very wildlifey grand prix this one that's what we like about this one we've also got josh Sittle here who's also been subjected to my driving on the way from vienna how are you josh yeah, good first on-site event of the year. The races having its, well, B-spec car might be a bit of a, you know, bit, being a bit too kind to myself there. But yeah, a bit of a mid-season upgrade. Um, and uh, yeah, the f- first race of the year. They're, um, they're not quite all as scenic as this. No, exactly. But I'm intrigued to do a, a very, very nice view, which is unhelpful for anybody listening to the podcast. Well, how, how would you, g- given everybody's obviously used to Ed Straw's driver ratings or driver rankings, how would you rate... Ed's drive from the airport to here. Um, Keeping in mind, you can't <laughs> mark him down for the detour that we had to take because we were stitched up by a certain um, map manufacturer. Well, thankfully, we switched to rankings this year. And he's the only person <laughs> who's driven me, so he gets a number one spot. <laughs> That's brilliant. Excellent. I, I must admit, I did think Josh was attempting to assert Mark Hughes there by calling him a B-spec uh, <laughs> Uh, member of the team but anybody worried don't worry Mark Hughes is also going to be here but he's just not with us here on site quite yet but there's going to be plenty happening this weekend and 
One of the big stories that will be talked about but that broke a few days ago is the Alpine buy-in. So, Scott, what can you tell us about the nuts and bolts of this deal? Obviously, it's got a Hollywood tinge. Everyone's getting very excited about it. Yeah, so obviously everybody was interested in the, the headline names that, that were involved. So Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhenney and uh, Michael B. Jordan. Um, I have a bit of a suspicion given that they're part of a wider investor group and there's some you know pretty heavy hitting investment groups within that. I suspect they're kind of the names and faces of it to give it a little bit of that star power and attention. Whereas I, my guess would be most of the money is coming from these uh whatever they are venture capitalists or investment groups who who whoever is is really fronting up the cash but they're taking you know a reasonable chunk it's a significant but a minority stake 20 24% i think they're paying 200 million euros for it which obviously values um alpine as a whole at just under the magic billion dollar um mark that f1 and a bunch of senior figures keep talking about so it's um I think it's, it's it's a sign of a few things, really. It's the the appeal of F1 and owning a team and the price that you have to pay now to, to get involved. It's a sign of the fact that Renault clearly doesn't want to just be solely responsible for an F1 team and there's stuff that still needs to be done to improve Endstone and this is a nice way to get that ca- a bit of a cash injection. It won't all go towards that, I'm sure, but it will help and it means Renault doesn't have to put in um, for its works team. Um, and it'll be about you know helping build that Alpine brand and story because all, all respect to them and what what they're doing. Alpine is in the grand scheme of things a pretty nothing car manufacturer. It has it has one model on the market and it hasn't had a new one since 2017, I think. So the the, the A A110 or whatever it's called is six years old, I think. This this version of it. Um, so having these people with incredible production companies and experience in, in in storytelling and mass appeal storytelling is only going to help sort of tell that story to a wider audience. Yeah, and I uh, followed their investors presentation a couple of days ago, which went very in depth on the whole plan for the brand, etc. Obviously, F1 was a small part of that, but they do really put the motorsport part as a big part of trying to spread that brand. They've got an ambition to get it going properly globally in the longer term. So they see motorsport, not just F1, but their other motorsport activities as very central to that. Josh, 200 million euros for 24% of a works F1 team. Did that strike you as slightly, I was going to say slightly cheap, but did that surprise you that it went that cheaply considering the prices people are chucking around for these teams? In a way, I guess you, you'd expect the noise around it to always be a bit above the, the reality. But I think it shows that, you know, the the figures that have been thrown out in the last couple of years have been fairly accurate. And it's certainly a far cry from, you know, the likes of what Force India was 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 bought for a couple of years ago and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it shows a, a huge change um, in the last few years. And I think it's it's significant, too, for any of the new teams as well and their kind of hopes of, of joining the grid and um, the kind of money that both they're going to have to get involved, but also what the teams would be giving up if uh, an extra team came in and, and all the arguments over that as well and the anti-dilution fund. So, uh, yeah, it's just the sort of latest example of, of how much F1 teams are worth now and sort of how much uh, the the kind of how big the, the pie is that any new team would be wanting their slice on. It's interesting to see how that um, that progression has been with team sales or 
part sales or whatever you want to call them. I mean, I can't remember what the final number was for the Williams sale to Doralton because there was, there was there was quite a bit of debt they had to clear as well, wasn't it? But it was obviously 100% control of the team and I think was it less than £200 million or yeah, something? Yeah, it shows like how much has, uh, has changed. Obviously, we then had the McLaren buy-in. Which was 33, up to 30. It started as a lower number, but it rose to 33% and I think it was £185 million for McLaren Racing. 33% of McLaren Racing, which is obviously now an F1 team, an IndyCar team, a Formula E team and an Extreme E team. That was from a, a consortium of, of US investors. And then obviously Audi's buying into Sauber. And I think the total value of that deal, which will be 75% of Sauber, will amount to, I think, a total value of Sauber of, of only about sort of six or $700 million. Um, so yeah, it, it's creeping up ever more, isn't it? And, and I think we've heard loads of rumours this year about you know Red Bull slapping a billion dollar price tag on Alpha Tauri and Doralton apparently rejecting offers of up to a billion for, for, for Williams since buying it. So it's, and you think we just said Williams, what an enormous return on the investment that would be. And they're saying no. Yeah, and it's worth stressing because you mentioned that they were buying McLaren Racing there. What has been bought into is basically Enstone, the Formula One team. It's not anything of the rest of Alpine cars. It's not Viri, the engine side of things. And they were very at pains to stress that it wasn't just we need to sell a chunk of the team. It was all about strategic partners. So, one, it releases some funds for them to invest. Uh, Lauren Rossi, the Alpine car CEO, said that some of that will be invested into the team. So they're still working on infrastructure and upgrades and that kind of thing. And also there's the uh, the... the the dimension about what they'll bring in terms of building the brand and revenue and sponsorship revenue and commercial that they feel that it's a strategic partner rather than just selling a chunk of the team now of course it's always presented that way but they were very very keen to lean into this is all about developing the team and the brand etc etc and of course that's so core to alpine car strategy they've, they've got some nonsense words that they like to use um around this kind of stuff whether it's the strategy or what what are they what's the sort of name they seem to have given the hundred race plan the mission or project of of catching up i can't remember what they're it's calling mountain it. climber mountain or something, climber yeah. or something it probably like. sounds better in french it's just it's so cringy but within all of that there is a there has been a bit of language around this deal and the investor stuff that made me think that they might they might actually get it that they haven't put enough in to the team yet because there was a bit of moaning from from lauren rossi when he was doing that um, that big public criticism of the team, one of the complaints was that he was he he moaned about the fact that the results weren't worthy of the investment that had been put in, and in the specific context of the start of this season, that was correct. But overall, Alpine is exactly where Alpine should be, pretty much, based on that team's investment over the last six or seven years, especially when you consider the base. It was coming from when the team fell to its knees during the the, the the last of the Lotus years before Renault bought it back. And it does feel like actually they do understand that there needs to be more. They're talking about having a you know a facility deficit they need to catch up. So there's infrastructure there, there's personnel there. So it's another thing for the Renault Works team to be talked about as, oh, look at all this potential we can tap into. But I'll be honest... I think I've run out of patience for this team's talked about potential because 
Rossi, I think, said there were some um, quotes that were picked up by, I think, like BBC and Reuters as part of the Investors' Day, where Rossi said what Aston Martin's done has been a wake-up call. And I think it probably has. I think they felt that they could get away with what looked like good progress has actually been exposed as just kind of plodding along at a reasonable rate when actually they could have achieved a lot more. Yeah, it's been a very different approach from Aston Martin, Alpine, as Renault, in fact, have always done, uh, trying to do it, I'm not going to say on the cheap, but just at a slightly lower level. And throughout history, teams have talked about, all oh, the advantages of efficiency, etc. But efficiency is always good, no matter what level you're spending. And being very efficient while spending more will achieve more for you. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a, a magic bullet. And it is good that there's going to be some funds to invest. They still want to do a little bit with the wind tunnel. There's things at Endstone they can do to make gains, and they probably need to. And obviously, they're going to miss their target of... They said they wanted to finish fourth again in the championship, but closer to the top three than to the chasing pack behind. Well, they're not going to finish fourth. They're going to finish fifth, most likely. And McLaren fancy their chances, as we'll talk about later, of giving them a fight later on. And they're certainly not going to be closer to the top three than those behind, not least because they're going to be behind the fourth place car, almost certainly. So, yeah, a lot to do for Alpine, but it does bring some money in. So a significant step for them and create some interest for Formula One. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about McLaren now. Josh, they're introducing a major upgrade in Austria. So what can you tell us about it? Yeah, well, it's a huge upgrade. So big, in fact, it's going to be spread across the next three races. So we're getting 50% of the upgrade here this weekend. And then obviously 25 and 25 for for Silverstone and Hungary. So yeah, it's a huge update. And also just a huge moment really for McLaren and and their recovery. Because obviously it's been a, a very tricky start to the season. It was clear they missed their development targets by, by some way and um, obviously the the key technical changes were made they realised very very early on what you know the mistakes that they'd made but now finally they're sort of getting their, their first on track chance to, to correct that and try and catch up some of the gap as we said before to, to Alpine who probably really haven't done the best job of, of using their car advantage so there is certainly a, a window in terms of the, the short term for McLaren to um, come back if these upgrades work, but I think that's sort of secondary to the to the main point of if not, of if these upgrades are going to put them back um, on the right path in in terms of the pace because I think they've scored something like five points outside of their their Melbourne weekend, so they've had a, a really tricky one. Some weekends they look like even the ninth or or ten quickest car, which is so far from what they've been. Um, the last few years so yeah it's a huge upgrade isn't it and uh, a big test for them this weekend and next couple weekends and I I feel like we're probably going to get a bit of sort of we need to wait and see 
kind of talk um, because obviously not got the full upgrade this weekend. So it, it may well be that we have to wait a few more rounds to to truly understand um, the success of this upgrade. Well, especially as obviously these, this upgrade will be part of it's in you know, a complete package. It's all been developed in tandem. It's all meant to um, they're meant to correlate with with each other. It's all meant to interact as one, and there will theoretically be instant gains given half the package comes this weekend it would be i'm sure mclaren would be disappointed if there isn't an, a noticeable uptick in performance straight out out the block especially if this is successful and we don't know um in terms of what gets brought here if this will be the part that addresses this but i imagine it's all aimed towards it they've been talking from the start of the season about efficiency they can't add downforce to the car without adding a load of drag and I don't think they've been really successful adding that much downforce either. Um, so if if they've been able to find a way to 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 work out how how better to maximise the, the the floor of of this car and, and and interpret the rules in a way that makes the car more effective, we should see that here a, a circuit with long straights, but also pretty significant downforce requirements through the corners and we'll see it again next week at Silverstone in particular by the time that they've got the final part of this upgrade on the car I don't think there should be any excuses because large parts of the upgrade will be well understood there are four races between now and the the summer break they will want to go into that summer break having had a massive bank of data with this upgrade package knowing exactly how it works and pretty much what's it what it what it needs so that they can use the time that you are allowed to work through August around the shutdown to to perfect it effectively for the second half of the season and make sure they've got one more upgrade coming or big upgrade package coming after the break that this informs that as best as it can at this stage. Yeah, and they pushed hard to bring the upgrade forward, which I think is why it's spread out. Andrea Stella said that it was kind of dictated by what was ready, but the order they're introducing it all in is not problematic. It's not like they won't get that instant gain. So that I think it makes some sense in the way it's going, even though it's forced by the manufacturing. And it's important to note that this builds on that change in floor edge treatment philosophy that was introduced in Azerbaijan at the end of April, which didn't really confer a massive lap time gain. It was maybe a little bit gained from it, but that was all about changing the direction. And this is the first realisation of that. And it's also the first... Um the first manifestation of the new technical department's input because that upgrade from from Baku that, that you mentioned there was obviously the result of what McLaren had been doing over the winter. It's what they wanted to start the season with more or less and then obviously did, did get refined a little further. But that was effectively born and its gestation period and the majority of its production came in the James Key-led single technical director era. Well, since then, they've had this new organisational um, structure in place they don't have two of the three leaders for that structure at the moment because they're on gardening leave coming from Ferrari and Red Bull respectively but McLaren always said this was going to be the first time you saw the benefits of that new system so there's a lot riding on it I think in terms of how well it works what it shows about the ideas they're coming up with are they just doing a very good job of replicating other ideas are there some signs of ingenuity on it because that's what McLaren has been saying they've been lacking high-powered creative ideas well let's start to see with this upgrade package whether or not that's actually been realized yeah and certainly the optimism in the team suggests they're very very confident that this is the right direction it'll be a test of it the one thing that's interesting with mclaren is we've talked about some of the problems they're tackling but they've also been these longer characteristic problems 
in terms of the way the car behaves. Obviously, Lando Norris keeps talking about those, that it can be a quite tricky car to drive. It's not great in the longer corners, particularly for that reason. They've often struggled in kind of combination entry. So when you're braking and turning, and Austria in places can be a, a, an interesting test of that. I know turn four, that, that downhill right-hander has been a tricky one. When Ricardo was struggling, that was a place where he was struggling to get the car rotated in the way that uh, Norris could. And Norris kind of did that by being on the knife edge so I don't know whether it'll start to chip away at some of those things but it's interesting Josh in terms of the the ambition for it because they still seem to hope that they can have I mean this target of being the fourth best car and by the end of the year I think probably think of it as fourth best car is risky but well that was I, a target set before they realized how good the Aston Martin was well exactly be. yeah but I think the hope is realistic that they can get into a best of the rest position and make that gain on Alpine you alluded to that earlier but Although there's a reasonably big points gap, it's certainly not insurmountable, is it? So if this works as hoped, this could ignite McLaren's season. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely much needed. And I think also for the mood of the drivers as well. I mean, in particular, Lando Norris, you know, Oscar Piastri still had the, the quickest car of any of the three rookies, even if it's not been quite as competitive as the, the um, previous McLarens. But yeah, I think particularly for Norris, I mean, He's obviously already faced so many questions about his future. It's still obviously a little way off and this is only one step in it. But I think it will be a, an important step for him in, in terms of deciding whether he wants to stick with McLaren in the long term because, as we said, it's the first kind of test of this this new technical leadership, which is probably the biggest sell sort of for, for McLaren's future and for trying to convince Norris to, to stick around in the long term rather than look elsewhere. So... Um, it is very important on the on the drivers' front too, and for their current season, I think it, there, there's absolutely no reason why they they can't finish fifth if this upgrade works. Um, just like we said about you know not uh, Alpine sort of running out of excuses, I think reasonably if uh, if this upgrade has done what McLaren said um, it can do, then I think it's fully realistic for them to be right in the fight with Alpine especially how well they've sort of compared to, to Alpine in the last few years, even when Alpine's had a slight edge um, in terms of having a, a slightly faster car. McLaren have always kind of found a way to, to make points, particularly in the hands of Norris, even if he hasn't quite been able to do that as many times this year. So certainly if they can add a bit more performance, then, you know, f- being the four fastest car is, is definitely not realistic by the season's end, but they could be the, the fifth. And if you're in a similar position to where Alpine are, and sometimes you can be the fourth best car in a race or, or particularly um, in qualifying. I don't think it should be realistic for a McLaren to beat Alpine in the championship this year. I think Alpine should be probably 40 or 50 points further ahead. They've thrown away so many chances at different points of the season. Most you know, most of their races have been messy, with the exception of um, some cleaner weekends, like, for example, uh, Monaco, which was obviously the... The, the highlight with the podium but also my, you know Miami was quite a quite a clean one as as well but there's just been so many moments of them just shooting themselves in the foot right from the start of the year with Gasly doing badly in qualifying and then Ocon having a disastrous race and up until recently with pointless penalties for impeding and um, just just like I say shooting themselves in the foot and giving McLaren a window of opportunity that probably shouldn't be there given the performance gap between the cars right now that McLaren needs to be much, much quicker in its upgraded form to even get level with Alpine, let alone beat it. And ultimately, if we're talking about taking a proper step like they want to do, they need to beat them comfortably, don't they? And they will need to beat them comfortably 
in nearly every race between now and the end of the year to beat them in the championship. I think Alpine, they have been a bit frustrating, but we are starting to see some signs of consistency. Canada, they were unlucky with Gasly, without science impeding. Gasly was plenty quick enough to have been in the points there, and obviously he qualified really well in Spain, but had the impeding things. You know, that the team was partly responsible for that. He played a part in at least one of those as well. So I think Alpine seemed to be understanding the car reasonably well. There have been some reasons why the execution hasn't been as good as it could have been, but some bad luck. So I can see Alpine reeling off double points finishes uh, race after race now. But the only trouble is that it's very much kind of ninth and tenth because they're pretty much in no man's land now, Alpine between the big four and the rest. And obviously they want to catch up with the rest, but that's going to be pretty tricky for them. But yeah, that's going to be an interesting uh, little battle. But there's question marks over both McLaren and Alpine for them to answer over the rest of the season. Well, that's what made the difference in Melbourne, wasn't it, obviously? Because when McLaren were able to get that double points finish, they got a huge hole. So it it can depend sometimes on on circumstance as well. Yeah, four out of eight races, they've managed to get both cars in the points, but that includes kind of the eighth and ninth of Miami, which is a good weekend, but not monstrous points. Tenth and eighth in Spain, obviously, with Gasly's... uh, struggles uh in terms of the, the the grid position and then losing places at the start as well so yeah a bit more to be done there but an interesting little battle for two teams that aim to be next in line to join that front group hi producer johnny here interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about roan a clothes brand we think you'd like i don't know about you but finding clothes you like can be tough sizes can vary from brand to brand and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best. And that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and Gold Fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the Commuter Collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The Commuter Collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Let's look ahead to this weekend specifically, Scott. It's a start of a run of four races in five weekends. Red Bull ring. We've got a sprint weekend as well. But any reason not to expect another Red Bull win? Well, obviously, they that combination is the favourite, Max Verstappen in in the Red Bull. But I think there's um, I think there's some reason to be relatively optimistic. First of all, it's a sprint weekend, slightly different format. It has the potential to catch Red Bull out. There's only one practice session, um, so that that could that could play into some form of uh, I wouldn't say chaos, but like I say, it could just nudge them out of the operating window especially as it looks like slightly cooler temperatures are possible rain potentially as well so it could be either a bit of a setup lottery or it could just be a case of the red bull just being knocked out of that ideal working range like we've seen other times this weekend the australian weekend for example obviously in the race they still disappeared up the road but there have been moments of vulnerability where we've seen 
times where it looks like Rebel might actually be under threat. So that's one factor. It's the broader list of circumstances in which Red Bull might underperform. But then there's the other element, which is that Mercedes, Ferrari and Aston Martin are all quietly confident that they've taken steps of of their own. Aston Martin seem quite bullish about the progress that they've made and they are specifically targeting making that car more more potent in a straight line, uh, getting it to the point where at the moment they're strong in low speed corners, but that is because that seems to be that coming at the cost of uh, you know straight line speed or, or or speed through through high speed corners, and they're having to trade off that low speed advantage to get a bit more performance around the other corners, which is why we maybe see a little bit of form fluctuation because they can't really flex the muscles of that car all the time. What they're trying to do is keep the goodness at low speed and add that straight line speed potency or whatever. If they can do that, which they feel that they had have done, and they feel that Canada with the upgrade there was evidence of that. Austria should prove that because this, again, will, will, will test that side of things. Mercedes feel that their car will be better suited to this track as well. Um, and Ferrari looked really good in Canada, but that could easily be track or conditions specific. Red Bull actually thought that Ferrari was the fastest car on every tyre compound in, in, in Canada, but obviously they were just out of position on the grid because they're Ferrari. So we'll see. The, the big question mark I have is that I just don't see anything about this layout that tells me it won't also massively suit the Red Bull. Well, every track suits the Red Bull, doesn't it, pretty much? Montreal was probably one that was hardest for it, but they still managed to win and get pulled by 1.2 seconds or whatever. Yes, I know the weather played a part in that, but yeah, there's not necessarily any particular reason to be too upbeat for those expecting a change from the normal. But as I keep saying, Red Bull probably won't win all the races. I had to put a qualifier in now because they haven't tripped up yet, but it is very difficult to uh, to win them all. But Austria is an important one for them. This is always a, a big weekend. Obviously, it's also the first Austrian Grand Prix since the loss of Dietrich Mateschitz as well. So I imagine they'll see it as a good tribute to him to get a win here because, of course, this is very much Red Bull country we're in here. They've invested a lot, not just in motorsport here, but the, the whole uh, the whole region josh are you going to give us any exciting reasons for someone different to just to change the uh change the narrative i'm going to further that narrative by saying it's a a very important weekend for sergio perez to to end this you know bad spiral of form that he's been in recently it's historically not a track that he's done very well as a red bull driver both in terms of performance and you know like he had a collision with george russell last year um so it's very important for him to, to try and get back on terms but unfortunately that kind of thing probably only unfortunately points to more of the same um but yeah it, it's a big weekend for him i think we've already talked about his title chances being very much non-existent now but it, it's more about sort of just getting his his form in general back on track just getting his um even if it's a second place in in both the sprint and the grand prix i think that would be fine he just needs to get into more of a, a natural run of things but uh yeah so an important weekend for him to to get things back on track yeah, and of course it all points to Verstappen as favourite and it's no surprise. But I do think it's worth reiterating the fact that Perez's struggles show that it's not just a guarantee of success if you're driving a Red Bull. You still need to put everything together. Verstappen's brilliant at doing that. He's out, he's driving so well this season. Yeah, I think, but it's easy when you're when the team's sabotaging the other car. Uh, yeah, yeah, all these uh, all these narratives. The bottom line, Perez is a good Grand Prix driver. Max Verstappen's a great one. And I, I say this time and time again, but this is a story that recurs throughout racing history. So what, um, if you were a betting man, and I know you are, 
what money would you put on Ferrari ending there? Not quite a year, but years wind drought. I'm not going to put any money on that. At least I don't think it'll happen on merit. Obviously, in any Grand Prix weekend, you could uh, you could have some luck, and they'll, I'm sure, get a decent result. But yeah, yeah, it's amazing to think really that Ferrari effectively hasn't won for a year. If you want to think of Austria as the anniversary in terms of race of uh, of their wins, obviously they won Silverstone in Austria. Calendar was a bit different ordered last year as well, so it's near as makes no difference uh, a year. But that Austria performance last year was pretty dominant in the race. Certainly, they just had the advantage over race stints. So the possibility of a Ferrari having an advantage over a Red Bull over a race stint in terms of the way it's working its tyres is uh, is not one that I think you would be uh, putting too much money on. But Ferrari are adamant they're making progress in this area I can't help but feel Montreal might have been track specific I'll be very pleased to be proved wrong this weekend because the more cars battling at the front the better but yeah I'm not overly optimistic they what what they would give for a weekend like Austria last year they would it would mean everything to them I mean I see I do see little bits of evidence of 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 progress I, I suppose but the problem is that it's all it's all so muddled and there's no there's no real clarity from the team that they're of exactly what they've got on top of and exactly what is meant to be better with this car because it got slightly mixed messages after Spain and then Canada you can so easily write off as being track specific and every time Leclerc looks and sounds really miserable Ferrari come out a few hours later and say oh yeah but he was you know he's right after the session he's going to be miserable but it's kind of like yeah but don't don't give your driver any reason to be miserable afterwards I, I know that it happens from time to time but it seems to happen all the time um, at the moment with Ferrari so I think they just I think first and foremost need a clean weekend they have been like gold dust for Ferrari this season so so rare so a clean weekend for starters hopefully a competitive one but they can't afford to be on the back foot after FP1 because of those four teams at the top Ferrari's the one that concerns me the most about just getting caught out slightly by one free practice session because the Red Bull's just massively quick. Aston Martin, as a general rule, tend to turn up to a weekend really well sorted and and in a good place from the get-go. And Mercedes just have a history of applying lessons very, very quickly and thoroughly after Friday practice. Now, obviously, it's more difficult to do after when it's only FP1 and you've got qualifying a few hours later, but... I just have a bit more faith in those three teams not to get caught out than I do Ferrari. Yeah, and that point about the sprint weekend, obviously it's the new sprint style for this year, which is the the disconnected Saturday, as I like to think of think of it. So Friday afternoon, we'll have qualifying for Sunday's Grand Prix, and then Saturday's its own little mini event with uh, sprint qualifying, as they call it, on the uh, on the Saturday first session instead of the the normal FP3 slot. We talked a bit about this format before i'm not so keen on this compared to the old sprint format although i do accept it eliminates the saturday practice session that uh, was just a tire evaluation exercise scott was maybe a bit more positive about it where do you stand on it josh yeah i'm gonna side more towards you ed on this one because victory <laughs> for me it just felt it's just a very jarring change you know you got friday and then head into Saturday and it's, it's its own event. I, I completely get what they're going for. And I actually think, to be fair, trialling it was a was a good idea or, or switching to this one for this year was a, was a solid idea. But I think ultimately it's just a bit too disconnected to have um, Saturday its own day and for Friday and Sunday to be sort of sandwiched either side. So yes, on this one, I uh, 
more agreeing with you, Ed. The other thing that's worth noting with a sprint is we could well have some rain on Saturday, so there's an opportunity for this to be the first one where there's maybe a little bit more damage and teams kick off about the damage implications under the cost cap of the sprint race because that's been a, an argument that's not yet quite happened in the seven previous sprint weekends. Either of you looking forward to speaking to Nick De Vries this weekend, given what Helmut Marco's been saying? Uh, well, I think it's about time that someone other than Helmut Marco did some talking because that's all he seems to be doing. He seems to be giving interviews um, away left right and center whether it's about his drivers or one of his teams or whatever it is um yeah i i i'm not looking forward to it not not because i it's uncomfortable or awkward or anything like that like nick's a professional so you can ask him those questions but he'll just answer it in a very plain way because what what gain is it for him to come back firing at marco or Christian Horner by proxy because Marco's spoken on Horner's behalf. He, he will gain no, his situation is so precarious. He's not coming out tomorrow. I'll be amazed if he comes out tomorrow swinging. Yeah, easiest way is just going to be to essentially give the same answers he's been giving all season. And, and what else can he do, really? I think it was pretty unhelpful comments to make really because I think he's he's under so much pressure already. You know, why add that? It was the comments made by sort of the kind of comments you'd make at the end of somebody's career or time with Red Bull or, or Afatari. It's, it's not the comments you make right in the middle of it. For all we know, Nick DeFries will, will have a mid-season turnaround and, and end up with a with a half-decent rookie season and, and keep a seat for next year. The way Helmut Marko was talking was more like, yeah, it, it turned out I was right about, or rather Christian Horner was was right about Nick De Vries. He hasn't um he hasn't stopped there either. So with De Vries it was specifically in the context of you know being asked if him and Horner ever disagree and then Marco brings up De Vries as the most recent example in which they did says that Horner wasn't a fan and now he's been proven right. So yeah, he's 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 drop kicked Nick De Vries just before just before an, a run of very important races for him on circuits that he knows well. Um, but he's also, you know, an interview's been published with him in an Austrian publication in which he's just outed Alpha Tauri as having new name and sponsors for next year. We wait to see how much of a dramatic change that will be. But Marco just seems to be being peak Marco at the moment. Scattergun, say what you want, no consequences. There have been some suggestions he's rolling into retirement at the end of the year. There's obviously been some tensions of some kind since the new Red Bull ownership came in or or, or rather the, 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 the new sort of stewardship of, of Red Bull after Dietrich Maschitz's passing. I don't really think it's a you know, great way to mark the first Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull ring since Maschitz's death with Marco just, yeah, uh, canning drivers and teams within the Red Bull stable. But... It's uh, it's interesting. It's a fun talking point, at least. Well, it's never quiet when you're a Red Bull driver, is it? I guess Nick De Vries will have been told privately if he's under pressure anyway, so I don't think it'll make much difference to him. But yeah, a few more questions for him to answer this weekend, unfortunately for him. Well, thanks very much to Scott and Josh for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there'll be loads of coverage of the Austrian Grand Prix weekend there. Check out our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, which has an eighth season starting up right now. And also have a look at our YouTube channel. We're now turning our attention to goings on at the Red Bull Ring, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the Austrian Grand Prix. The Athletic.